Welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. In today's episode, I'll be catching up with my colleague Samuel Lovett to discuss the legacies that Warren Gatland and Joe Schmidt will leave behind in Wales and Ireland as they prepare for their final tournaments in charge. We'll also discuss the elephant in the room following the allegations made against Rob Howley. And in part two, we'll preview this weekend's epic encounter between the All Blacks and South Africa, as well as look ahead to the tournament opener between Japan and Russia. So let's get Sam on the line. Konnichiwa, Sam. Welcome to Japan. Hello. Konnichiwa, Jack. How are you doing, mate? Good. Uh, just settling into rainy Sapporo. Uh, we, we've travelled up from Miyazaki, where England have been carrying out their training camp, kind of a pre-season feel before the World Cup. And it was mm-hmm. beautiful sunshine, 30-degree heat, high humidity on the beach, and here it is raining, and it is grey, and it is 15 degrees, and... I didn't think I would, but I'm starting to miss Miyazaki. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's exactly the same here, mate. There uh, have been rain clouds, but that it's been it's actually been very humid the past couple of days. Uh, been quite stifling, sort of moving around between Tokyo and Yokohama on the tube. Uh, but it's good, though. It's been very eye-opening so far. I've been enjoying it. Well, we've got a little bit of uh, different atmospheres around our trips, haven't we? I'm very much on, on the uh, the straight and narrow on the in the hotels and following England and... You're going to be a bit more out there experiencing yeah, what Japan's on the, like. On the beaten track a little bit, um, sort of staying in hostels, Airbnbs, uh, sort of immersing myself, I suppose, in the, in the local culture a bit more. Uh, I mean, I've had a, a couple of sort of cultural pars already, which I can tell you about at the end, uh, which have been entertaining to say the least, but it's, it's an experience, isn't it? So it's been good. And how's uh, Airbnb number one going? Good, yeah, very it's, uh, clean. I, th- I think that's the case with sort of all of these Airbnbs in Japan. Very clean, very tidy. Uh, the hosts have been very welcoming, despite sort of the language barrier. She's uh, she's been lacking me quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> she's not the only one. So let's get down to business. Um, this morning, the Independent has published a feature written by you uh, on Warren Gatland and Joe Schmidt and what their legacies will be come their departures after the World Cup. So do you want to talk us through a little bit behind the idea of the piece and the similarities between what they've achieved? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the uh, the idea for the initial piece came with the fact that they're both stepping down uh, at the end of the World Cup. So I, I thought heading into the, into the tournament, uh, they're going to find themselves under a lot more scrutiny, under, under the microscope a lot, as, as teams, fans and sort of observers come to reflect on what they've achieved and and, if, and ask if they can end their respective campaigns uh, on one sort of final swan song. So that was sort of the initial idea behind the piece. Uh, in terms of similarities, obviously two Kiwis um, who inherited teams that were, at the time of their arrivals, sort of, I suppose in disarray, stuck in a bit of a rut. Wales had been dumped out of the 2007 World Cup. There were sort of rumours rife of fractions and disputes on the players in the Welsh camp. Uh, while upon the point of Schmidt's appointment as Ireland head coach in 2013, Ireland had just won Six Nations uh, title to their name across the previous 28 years. But under Schmidt and Gatland, that's obviously changed. Um, Ireland won three Six Nations since uh, Schmidt took charge. Wales won four titles and Gatland. Um, obviously, Ireland have still yet to reach the semi-finals of the World Cup, which is why this tournament is so important for them in particular. Um, where obviously whereas Wales have reached uh, semi-finals in 2011. Then look at their performances against the uh, Southern Hemisphere. Ireland, in particular, have done very well. They had those two victories over New Zealand. 
which sort of became a sort of confirmation as their arrival onto, onto the, the international grand stage. Um, for Wales, uh, some critics have pointed to besides inability to beat uh, the trio, uh, the Southern Hemisphere trio, and you have to take into also consideration that they haven't done it at a World Cup. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, on the back of the progress that has been made in recent years, they, they fare against the likes of Australia or South Africa or New Zealand, whoever they face uh, as the tournament progresses. And you'll be covering plenty of Wales this World Cup, and of course they go into it as Six Nations Grand Slam champions, but I don't really get that feel that many people seem to be giving them as much of a chance as they do England and Ireland, and you kind of do have to ask, why is that? Well, I think that, that goes back to the fact that they have struggled against the Southern Hemisphere teams. Um, like I said, they've not done it at a World Cup. But, I mean, I, I'm inclined to sort of maybe disagree with you a, a little bit, Jack. I mean, this is something that sort of Sam Warburton spoke about earlier in the year. He spoke about how the, the idea of the perception of Wales being, as being the underdog as being easily dismissed and, and sort of uh, brushed aside by their opponents. That seems to sort of vanished under, under Gatland. And as I should have said before, this is one of, I think, one of his key legacies. He's now sort of instilled in, in the Welsh team a bit of a fear factor, which will play in their favour, I, I think, in Japan in the tournament. Um, we saw it in the, in the World Cup warmers. that there's, there's that resilience, that self-belief, which sort of drives them throughout the entirety of the, the 80 minutes right to the end. And I think with, with that uh, at their disposal, I've, I'm confident that they could, they could actually do very well uh, this tournament. That's interesting. I think I'm very much the opposite in that mm. without Talupe Falatao, I mean, that, that's a huge loss. He, he walks into pretty much most sides in international rugby. I think mm. maybe... England and New Zealand decide he, he starts. Um, and they've also lost Gareth Hanscom. That, that completely changes the way that they have to play their game. You know, yeah. Gatland has spent the last year building this attacking philosophy around Hanscom. Yeah. Now they've got to go back to Dan Bigger. And can he do that? I mean, the early signs through the World Cup warm-ups are no. Um, although yeah. Bigger, Bigger did put in good performances. They, they weren't what Wales need if they're going to win the World Cup. Um, yeah. And I also, uh, I just think they're too light squad depth-wise. The, the scrum's an issue. Not bringing Rob Evans and Samson Lee due to injuries is fair enough, but yeah. the, the scrum has not an issue against George, who you know, obviously had this reputation for being fierce scrummagers. So that'll be interesting. I, I think that'll be sort of... If they, if they fare well against the Georgians, the hope will be that moving forward throughout the rest of the tournament, They'll, they've got a sturdy base sort of to, to build on that and do well. But if, if they completely sort of disintegrate at, at this first hurdle, then I suppose there is a worry um, that it'll, it'll continue to be exploited uh, by opposition teams. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to see. Difference of opinion. Um, uh, matter of time, isn't it? Yeah, may, maybe we'll uh, we'll stake a coffee on it. For, <laughs> if, if Wales make it for a beer or a sake. Uh, no, no beers on this trip, Sam. I'll tell you that. This is a wellness trip. <laughs> Um, maybe if, uh, if if Wales reach the semi-finals, I'll, I'll get you a coffee. How about that? Okay. Okay. When I see you. Well, one one other thing we do need to bring up uh, on a more serious note is the kind of dramatic week that Wales have had. They arrived to a huge reception, more than fifteen thousand fans turning out for them on Monday, and then Tuesday the shocking story that Rob Howley uh, had been sent home from Japan. 
Mm. Um, the Welsh backs coach uh, has been accused of breaching betting regulations, uh, which fall under World Rugby's Regulation 6. This has been confirmed by both the Welsh Rugby Union and also World Rugby, and it's the WRU that are heading up the investigation. Um, and this story's moved quickly, and that's largely in part to the WRU's honesty. Um, you do have to commend and praise them for the transparency they're trying to show. Um, both Gatland and Chief Executive Martin Phillips held a press conference on Wednesday um, and they just clarified exactly what happened. Uh, we now know that a bookmaker's integrity unit contacted the Welsh Rugby Union with evidence of sub- suspicious betting involving Howley last Wednesday and then the RRU officially notified World Rugby on Friday with the decision taken to send Howley home on Monday while he's investigated. Now, they've also been keen to stress that Howley's welfare is uh, of great importance. They want to make sure they're looking after him at what is a very difficult time for him. But there's also a number of rumours that are doing the rounds on what Howley's alleged to have done. And given we don't really have any proof yet, we, we won't go into them. But it's fair to say that his reputation is in tatters and he could even face a lengthy ban from the game if proven guilty. I mean... It's not. It's not great, is it, Sam? It's no. It's not ideal at all. Uh, it's the last sort of thing you need, you know, when you when you are preparing for the the World Cup. Um, it's going. It, you imagine it will have been very disruptive for the players. Um, I mean, Dan Bigger spoke openly about the shock. It's sort of it's shock waves it sent throughout throughout the Welsh squad. But I mean, all they can do now is just sort of look towards Monday's game. You feel that once they get. A win or a positive result under the belt, they won't be dwelling on, on this issue. They'll be, they'll be looking forward to the next game and the next game. Um, so it's a case of just, I think, just getting their heads down uh, sort of for, the, for the hierarchy. Um, like you said, making sure Howley has that support um, and just sort of seeing where the investigation goes. As you said, you know, we're limited in, in what we can say on the matter. Um, but I, I think the uh, Wales will respond in, in the right way. Well, I think one concern for Warren Gatland will be if if players subconsciously feel let down by Howley. He's been there a long time, you know, 11, mm. 11 years in the job is a good stint with an international team that they're going to uh, know, they're going to like the feeling of seeing him every day, working for him, playing for him. Mm. I, I just feel that they, they might feel a little bit let down uh, with this happening so close to the World Cup. But, but maybe that's something that they, you know, they might come to reflect upon. Um, in the wake of, of the World Cup, it, it might be then that the sort of the, the whole incident hit home. Um, I, I don't think they can afford to be too introspective and reflective on what's happened. But uh, you know, we're obviously not inside the camp, so like I said, we can only speculate so far. Well, looking closer at Ireland, um, they had that wobble in the Six Nations, and again in the World Cup warm-ups with the record defeat against England. But can you afford to overlook a team being led by the genius that is Joe Schmidt? Um, no, I, I don't think you can. Um, as I mentioned, the the fact that they haven't particularly fared well uh, at previous as World Cups will be concerned for the team. They want to sort of get that monkey off the back. Uh, the worry for me is the dependency on the sort of the Sexton Murray axis. Uh, obviously, Sexton's big concerns over his fitness and his form. Suggestions, you know, that he is sort of over the hill at 34, of, uh, 34 years of age. So I, I feel if, if he struggles to perform and turn up on the day, given that dependency on him, then Ireland might struggle. 
Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think on the matter, but... Um, I, I had an in, interesting conversation the other day um, with, of, of, of all people, Eddie Jones. Uh, mm. And he, he seemed surprised by my assessment, but I, I think Ireland are once again going to struggle to win a knockout game. And that's simply because I, I don't feel they are where they are or where they were. Twelve months ago, I don't think no, they're, yeah, they're the side of twenty eighteen. The wrong time. And you look at the the path they have to take, uh, regardless of where they finish in their pool, they will face either New Zealand or South Africa in the quarterfinals, unless there is a monumental upset in their group. Mm. You know, the, the All Blacks and Springboks are going to get through. I think I think we can safely say that. Yeah. And you know that at the moment, I cannot see Ireland beating either one of those sides. They're both coming out of the Rugby Championship. They look fantastically drilled. Uh, they're running on full cylinders and Ireland, I just don't think they're they're quite where they need to be, even though it must be said they bounce back very well from the, the England defeat. You know, wins over Wales yep. were very right. impressive. Yep. So it, it's not as one-sided as I feared when I watched that England-Ireland game, but I just can't see the way that, see a way where they're going to get a victory in the quarterfinals. Yep. And then straight away you once again say, well, it's the snowball effect. Every World Cup, it comes around, comes around, and Ireland just don't know how to win the big games. And I think they need to maybe strip it back and think, right, how can we start peaking for these World Cups? Because clearly they haven't until now. And, yeah. and my fear is they won't again. Well, that's all for part one. Join us after the break, where we'll look ahead to this weekend's opening games. Welcome back to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. After what feels like a lifetime in Japan, finally the rugby gets underway this weekend with host Japan taking on World Cup Minos Russia. We'll look at that game shortly, but first we'll discuss Saturday's epic collision between New Zealand and South Africa. You'll be at the game, Sam, so what are you expecting to see from the two rugby championship rivals? I mean, well, like you say, it's going to be a big one, isn't it? Um, it's going to be all-out war from these two teams. Um, it, it's, it's an historic rivalry, isn't it? One that always delivers in terms of fireworks, drama, uh, world-class rugby. So it's going to be more of the same from these two teams. Um, and as we mentioned in the third podcast, it is an opportunity for them to assert themselves, not just in the group, but the tournament as a whole. Uh, whoever wins this match, it will be sending a big message uh, to, the, to their fellow title contenders. So it's, it's going to be a fascinating a fascinating match. It's one that I'm really looking forward to. It is the standout fixture, surely, of, of the group stages. Um, and I'm, just, I'm just happy to be there. Um, what about yourself? I'm really looking forward to this. I, I think we, I'm covering Australia-Fiji on the, the second day, and luckily that's the first game up. So I'll be able to get that game over and done with, out the way, speak to the coaches and get out of there because I want to make yeah. sure... I'm watching this game. I think it's great that it's first up. Um, what you're going to have is both teams able to go health or lever for it because they've got three pool games afterwards that they should win. Um, you know that that's going to make this even bigger than it already is. And, yeah. Do, do you not feel that there could be a bit of concern about injury though? If they do go too hard, they could risk of losing some key, some key players if you know for one reason or what uh, or another one of them does sort of pick up a knock or something that's that's always the case I think yeah. with rugby union and one thing I've picked up from the coaches uh, since getting out here is that they're expecting injuries along the way there's yeah. 
there's not many games that go by where you don't pick up injuries and even then you still have all the little knocks and niggles that come with playing test rugby um i don't think you can afford to take your take your foot off the gas because if you do then a team such as south africa is going to be able to smash you to pieces yeah. and you might even get more injuries uh just by doing that and yeah. vice versa if south africa take their foot off the gas the All Blacks can not only smash them to pieces, but also destroy them on the scoreboard. You know yeah. that they can run fifty points in, which they've shown in the past they're able to do. But I just think the recent rivalry uh, of these two shows that they will rise to the occasion. They yeah. love playing against each other. South Africa really love trying to get on top of the All Blacks. Um, I think the South African team selection is quite interesting. Uh, leaving out Spoo and Cozy. Uh, he, he's been a remarkable finisher for over the last 18 months, two years. Uh, yeah. But they they haven't gone with him. They've uh, gone with Colby and Mapimpi on, on the wings. I mean, it kind of shows the strength and depth that the Springboks have out wide. Uh, that is really quite envious for other nations. Um, so that that'll be interesting to see. I, I, I think the Springboks won't look to go wide uh and that's basically why cozy's not there i think they're going to try yeah. smash new zealand beat them physically uh try run through them if it if they can get their pack uh imposing on the new zealand forwards that's what gives them the platform that they're able to attack from yeah, and then you've got faf de Klerk, uh scrum half pulling the strings i mean he's probably going to be the it's most the important event, player isn't it? exactly um yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that game. I, I think it should be a, should be a belter. Uh, but it's interesting when you look at the All Blacks uh, from a bit further afield. So there's three three players in that in that squad that are trying to win a third World Cup. It's never been done before. Yeah. Sonny Bill Williams, Kieran Reid, and Sam Whitelock were both, or all three of them were there in 2011 and 2015. And it's quite remarkable when you look at it that Whitelock could very much go on to 2023 as well. Uh, that, that would be incredible. Yeah. Um, so we made a lot a big deal about this being the greatest team ever when they won 2015. And their form over the last year has fluctuated a bit. And if you look at their win ratio between World Cups, this four-year cycle is not as dominant as it was leading to 2015. So there's that little sense of vulnerability but I, I just think if if they go out there and they win a third world cup in a row it might be one of the most remarkable feats ever seen in sport yeah you, you look at other world cups that are at a competitive level you, you don't see this this dominance uh for over such but, a but, long time but then you also have to take into consideration the argument that it's a smaller pool in terms of competitiveness um other sports and football, there's there's more variability, perhaps in terms of who can compete. Uh, whereas with 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 rugby union, it seems that it is the All Blacks domain, and it's always been that case. They've only been ch- properly challenged by a handful of teams, uh, and that sort of allowed them to maintain this status right at the pinnacle of the sport. Um, I mean, I personally don't know where I stand on the matter, but I'm just sort of throwing that curveball there to, to you know to see your view on that particular line of argument. Uh, um, so it'd be interesting to hear what you, what you think. I, I think that's why this could potentially be the, the greatest win for them because yeah. we're, we're all talking this up as being the most competitive World Cup ever. Yeah. You know, eight strong teams uh, that should go through to the quarterfinals and then 
the likes of Japan and Fiji, who you never know might cause an upset. If if if, yeah. if we can continue this expansion and grow that tier one to ten teams, and suddenly you have two strong teams going out in the pool stage, I, I think it's fantastic. But then I also think it shows what the All Blacks are doing, and I, I think it's quite remarkable. Um, but let's look at one of those tier two nations uh, looking to push on, and the tournament hosts, Japan. They raise the curtain against Russia. Bit of an odd game, given Russia shouldn't really be here. Uh, <laughs> they've, um, they've qualified through a bizarre scenario where Romania, Spain... And then Belgium were all disqualified during uh, qualification for fielding ineligible players. Uh, their warm-up games have been interesting, to say the least. They got absolutely hammered by Italy, uh, shipped 84 points. Then they lost to Jersey, who play in the second tier of English rugby. And then also lost to Connacht, which is that, that's a bit more fair. That, that's a professional outlet playing, uh, outfit playing in uh, the Pro 14. But it's it's looking a bit bleak for Russia, isn't it? Yeah, we're expecting a walkover, aren't we? Yeah. Um, compared to Italy, I, I I would have Japan ahead uh, personally. Uh, they've they've enjoyed an encouraging twelve months. Obviously, won the Pacific Championships. Then you take it all the way back to um, two thousand fifteen. Uh, and that historic win against South Africa, and it's more or less, well, not more or less, but it's, a lot of those players are still within the team now, uh, so the sense is that they'll be able to sort of carry on that mentality into this tournament. Got the backing of all the fans. Uh, the expectation is that they will rise to the occasion, and in this particular match, absolutely steamroll Russia. I think one problem for them is uh, the injury to the star winger, Kenki Fukuoka. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant over the last few years and he'll miss, likely, the first three pool games. That could be yeah. huge for Japan because they can't really afford to slip up at all. Um, yeah. But saying that, uh, I, I obviously uh, did a little piece last week that um, caused a little bit of a stir. I did an editor's letter on uh, my arrival in Japan and how I, how I kind of felt that... The country wasn't really making the most of hosting the tournament. Um, I still think that's an argument to be had, but I've also been really impressed with how the Japanese public have taken to rugby coming to places like Sapporo and Kitakyushu and Miyazaki. And I really feel that this week there's been a notable change. I felt Monday's uh, welcoming ceremonies really kicked off Rugby World Cup fever. And yeah. it was really enjoyable to be a part of it and watch it. And I, th I think it's more... My frustration with the organisers, I feel that there should be a lot more uh, drummed up about this, that there seems to be too much emphasis on the Olympics, which is still a year away. Oh, yeah, I completely agree uh, on that point. And maybe it's a marketing issue, because when I got the train from uh, the airport into, into Tokyo on Tuesday, yeah, I think it was, it was Tuesday afternoon, uh, one of the adverts that popped up on screen was for Tokyo uh, 2020, um, and that just struck me as you know utterly bizarre, given the the World Cup starts, you know, in a, a matter of days, and there they are advertising a, a competition which doesn't start for another year or so, or or just under a year. Um, and, and throughout sort of Tokyo and Yokohama as well, it, it does seem like there's been a, a lack of sort of visual um, visual nods towards the tournament and, and what's coming. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if it's maybe a sort of more a localized issue. If, if if in other areas of the country, it's that there are more 
efforts being made to promote the sport? I, I don't know. Um, and you mentioned uh, sort of earlier in the podcast the, sort of the fact that 15,000 fans had turned up um, for Wales. Um, was it on Monday? Yeah, uh, Monday. That, 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 uh, that brilliant clip of you know 15,000 Japanese fans singing the Welsh national anthem. So there's clearly an appetite. Um, uh, as you mentioned, perhaps it, the organisers haven't done enough to tap into that. Well, that's about all bases covered uh, for today. Um, Sam, you're now looking ahead towards the the curtain raiser and the opening ceremony. I'm sure uh, you're looking forward to that. Yes, yeah, no, I'm planning to sort of head down for a couple of hours before kickoff, sort of soak it all up. Um, so from the, so the reading I've been doing so far, away, it's going to be a bit more of a, a, a traditional opening ceremony com- compared to sort of the 2015 one. Yeah, uh, I, I remember from that it was all a bit surreal, and yeah, at, at this time there's the suggestion that the blue impulse, uh, basically Japan's version of the red arrows, could be performing, yes, yeah. which will be brilliant to see. And uh, uh, singer Ayaka Hirahara, and I have no idea if I've said that correctly. Uh, she, she'll be Very performing. Um, so that that's you covered for the next day or two. Uh, I'll be heading off in a moment to go uh, catch up with the England squad again. Uh, they've got their team selection on Friday morning um, for the Tonga game on Sunday. Uh, that that comes out at just about five a.m. UK time. So. Uh, That'll be a nice early start for fans back home, but uh, you can stay across all of that on The Independent. Uh, We'll be bringing you all the coverage from the team selection and Eddie Jones' press conference. So that's all from today's episode. Uh, Remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen for all the latest from the competition, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.